Hey, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I want to share a conversation I had after the message on Sunday with uh, a gentleman, a friend in the church. And he said, you know, I get it. We, everything we do is by God's grace. We're transformed by God's grace. He said, but we have to do something, right? And here's the analogy I shared with him. I said, you know, if, if you and I were standing here talking and I started to have a pain in my right side and started to hurt and, and you know, became very ill from it, you would probably look at me and go, hey, you might be having an appendicitis attack. Let's get you to the doctor. And in that moment, I have a choice. In that moment, I have a choice of saying, no, I'm good. Let me go drink some water or take a nap or take an antacid, whatever. Or I can choose to say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let me get to the doctor. Now, if I walked into the emergency room and had all the symptoms of appendicitis attack and had a fever and the doctor said, yeah, we, we're pretty sure you're having an appendicitis attack. We need to remove your appendix. What they won't do is hand me a scalpel and a mirror and say, you know, you got to get it out of there. Good luck. Go get it. And so when we respond to God in grace, when we come to God and, and we want it to all be about His grace, we want it to be about His unconditional love, not our performance or not our earning of His love or, or altering our condition by doing good things so that we can feel as if we're lovable before God. The act that we take, the thing that we do is to go to Him, the same way I'd go to the hospital if I was having an appendicitis attack. And I know that when I go to God, what He's not going to do is hand me a scalpel and say, hey, you got to clean that up. you got to get that out. you got to fix that. And so we do have to respond. And the response is to go to God and let Him do what it is He would do. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 9 when he says, you know, uh, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In that moment, when that friend comes to me and says, hey, I think you're having an appendicitis attack, let's get you to the hospital. My task, my job, my role is to acknowledge that I'm sick. That is the place where self-righteousness starts to unravel. And we talked about self-righteousness in the message because self-righteousness leads us to a place in our sin, in our brokenness, in our need for God to say, what must I do to get God, in essence, on my side? In essence, to do a work in me, to, to transform me. And what must I do is acknowledge that I'm not well and I need a physician. And, and that is a hard task oftentimes because what we don't want to do is look at ourselves and go, you know, I'm not in a great spot. I need something to change. I need to be made well. I have this sickness in me. And that sickness is sin. That sickness is our fallen state. And self-righteousness will always tell us, I can come to God, but first I must do these things that will make me lovable to God, that will make me presentable to God. In essence, that will make me a good person who's worthy of being loved. That's where I think the rub with unconditional love comes in because Christianity is the only faith that says that God has come to us. And I think it's the only faith that says God has come to us because it's the only faith 
that was not created by people. It was created by God. Christianity is God's reach towards man. Every other faith is man's reach towards God. And it would make sense that every other faith would say you have to do something to be placed into the good favor of the God that you follow, whoever that God may be or whatever that God may be. Because that's the way the world works. So it makes sense that we would design if human beings were only using what we know, our own experiences and intellect and knowledge and expectations to create a faith, we would create one that said, you have to make yourself favorable to God. You have to do something to win and curry the favor of the God that you've created so that that God will do something for you, will, will work in this world on your behalf. And when you think about it, that's the starting point of every ancient religion, the ones we read about in the Bible, the, the Greek religious system, the Roman religious system. Every ancient religion starts with a, a temple, a place where people can make a sacrifice to appease this God so that that God will look at them and say, you're lovable because you made this sacrifice, because you did these things, because you built this altar, because you had this, this kind of place in your home that said, hey, here's a shrine to my God, just to be lovable, just to do the things that would obligate that God to say, I will put favor on you. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, that's not how it works. The way it works is that I make you lovable to God. That's the whole point of Psalm 51, David's starting point that we talked about in the, the message on Sunday. The starting point of saying, I have sinned. There is something in me that is broken and I cannot be brought into your presence with this thing. And so Psalm 51 is a psalm of not only confession, but also a, a, a psalm that unravels self-righteousness because David comes to God in his brokenness and says, you know what, God, there's nothing good that lies in me that's in my flesh. Same thing Paul would later say. And I have done this thing that proves that there's nothing good in me. I have committed adultery with this woman Bathsheba, and then I've even gone so far to cover it up as to have her husband killed. And, and that's the starting point that David has. Now he had that same choice that, that my friend and I were talking about after the service on Sunday. In that moment he had a choice to say, I, I basically have this, this appendicitis attack of sin in, in my soul and it needs to be removed. So what do I do? Do I go to the physician and say, give me the tools by which I can remove it and I'll take care of it? Or do I go to the physician and say, I can do nothing but lie on the table and let you perform the surgery? Well, David chose the latter in Psalm 51. He went to God and said, God, there's nothing I can do to resolve this. My sin is before me. I need you to blot it out. I need you by your mercy to cleanse me. I need you to make me well and whole again. In essence, I need you to be the physician of my soul and heal me from my sin. And, and that's what God did. And so that all begins with a place of saying, God, there are no conditions attached to your love, therefore I can approach you 
in my broken state, at the worst of myself, and find that you love me. Now here's the reason I bring up Psalm 51, because if you have a desire to approach God in that way, if you have a desire to go to God and say, Lord, in my sin, I need you to blot it out. I need you to cleanse me. I need you to make me whole. I need you to heal me. Then the starting point of that, the thing that you must do that's equivalent to me going to the hospital when I'm having an appendicitis attack is to go to God in confession. That's how we get to the hospital, the place where the great physician does healing in our soul. And confession is that practice that takes us to that place where we go, God, you need to do a work in me because I can't resolve this myself. Now, it's a, it's a type of confession that isn't simply rattling off my sins and saying, here you go, here's my laundry list, it's all here, I laid it out. Now you're obligated, because I laid it out, to forgive me of the sins and transform me. That's, that's not what confession is. Confession in the Greek, the word confession literally means the same word. And so David was able to go to God in Psalm 51 in confession because he was seeking to have the same word about himself and his sin that God has about him and his sin, which is, I've cleansed it, I've removed it, I've forgiven it, I've moved it from you as far as the east is from the west. And that's what confession is. And so that practice of confession at the end of it, what happens is we get up from that place of prayer, of coming to God and saying, here's who I am, what I am, what I've done, and I've placed it all before you. And when we confess the way David confessed in Psalm 51 to say, there is nothing good in me. My sin is ever before me. I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to justify it. I'm going to stand before you as a person who is sinful. At the end of that act, act of confession, we take the same word God takes over our sin, which is it's been forgiven. It's been blotted out. It's, you've been cleansed of it. It's been removed from you as far as the east is from the west which then allows us to take the same word as God. That prayerful confession, at the end of it, we stand up and we go, God, I agree with you about my sin, that it is an offense to you, that it is depraved, that it is a product of my fallen nature, and that my nature needs to be redeemed and restored, and you have forgiven it. You have kept me in a loving relationship with you because I am not lovable because I am lovable by condition, but I'm lovable because you are love. And that is what it looks like to go to the great physician and say, I need healing. That is the thing that we all must engage in. That's the starting point. That's the action that we take to go to God with a clear picture of who we are as fallen people, with a clear picture of what we've done as sinful people, naming our sin, and with a clear picture of who God is in removing our sin, and with a clear picture of the truth, of the reality, that because God is love, He accepts me as I am and continues to love me. His love is not conditional. Now here's the last thing I wanna kinda pull into this many of us because of our experiences in life find it difficult to accept unconditional love. Maybe we had parents, teachers, 
friends, whoever it might be throughout our lives that always came to us and could accept us when we were conditionally lovable and we take that idea, that mindset, and we place it on God. The reality of it is, when we practice confession in our sin, the way David practiced confession in Psalm 51, being open and honest before God, realizing that He loves me unconditionally, knowing that He's going to cleanse me so that I can be in His presence, we begin to become the kind of people who can accept being loved unconditionally. And that's the whole goal of confession, is to put us in a spot where we say the same word about ourselves and about God and about our sin as he says about himself and about us and about our sin. So I hope that's helpful because I, I'll tell you this, oftentimes the biggest obstacle to accepting unconditional love is not God who loves us unconditionally, it's us who don't believe we can be loved unconditionally. And when we get to that place, we press deeply into the hiding and the masquerade and trying to build a facade that says, I'm lovable because of my actions, because of what I've done, because I've made myself conditionally lovable. That is the insidious undercurrent of self-righteousness in the life of a Christian. We know that we're saved by grace, but we oftentimes think that we're transformed by our effort, by our earning. It gets a little bit more subtle and nuanced and confusing when we realize that grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. So there are things I do as an effort to participate in God's grace washing over me. But those things that I do are never earning God's grace. Which brings us to the last thing I wanted to point out is that Dallas Willard quote we mentioned. The, the idea that a true saint burns grace the way a 747 burns jet fuel on takeoff. Because when we are living in God's unconditional love, his grace and the self-righteousness goes away. We find ourselves coming before God over and over and over again throughout our day because we know that there's nothing we can do to earn His love. We experience it by grace. We know that there's nothing we can do to be transformed into the image of Christ. We experience it by grace. We know that there's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. We experience it by grace. And so our days become opportunities to constantly drink from the well of God's grace if we're willing to push our self-righteousness aside and say, I cannot be okay without you. I need the physician because I am not well. And I'm going to keep coming to you, relying on your grace. I hope that's helpful. I hope that explains a little bit more about how self-righteousness can rear its ugly head in the daily life of a Christian. We expect self-righteousness to be an issue for those who don't know Christ. That's all they've got. But for those of us who do know Christ, it's still an issue. Until we can practice the discipline of confession the way Jesus, David did in Psalm 51. Being open and honest with God, saying, here I am. This is what I've done. 
I can't do anything about it. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And so wash me clean in that. And after we've done that, something else comes up and we do it again. But confession needs to be a practice of a discipline that we enter into knowing that we have to do something, which is to get in the presence of the great physician, and that there's nothing we can do in our self-righteousness that earns God's love because it's totally unconditional. Through confession, then, we become the kind of people who can accept unconditional love from God and from others. Hope that's helpful. Pastor James has created some great questions for you. So I want to encourage you as you go into your discussion time as a group to just be open and honest, be transparent, build a community of Christ-centered believers who are jointly, corporately swimming in the oceans of God's grace together. Let me pray for you. Father, we're so thankful that you love us unconditionally, that there's nothing we can do to earn your love because it makes it abundantly clear to us that all we have to do is bring ourselves into your presence. And so I hope that that happens in every one of our groups in this discussion time now, that, that as a group, as a body, that every one of our groups will enter into your presence and experience the overwhelming delight that comes from tasting your grace. And we ask that you would be in the center of every conversation, that you would reveal yourself to everyone, and that we would all draw closer to you and closer to each other through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great discussion time in your group. Thanks for watching.